1: The Marquis de Carabas was running through the underways as if all the hounds of hell had his scent and were on his trail. He was splashing through six grey inches of the Tyburn, the Hangman's River, kept safe in the darkness in a brick sewer beneath Park Lane on its way south to Buckingham Palace. He'd been running for 17 minutes. 30 feet below Marble Arch, he paused. The sewer divided into two branches. The Marquis de Carabas ran down the left-hand the branch. Mm. Welcome back to the Curiously Specific Book Club, the podcast that's curiously specific about dates and locations in well-known books, presented by me, Lloyd Shepherd, and you, Tim Wright. Hello, I'm Tim Wright. Yes, and this is part two of our London adventure Using Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere as our guide. We've never done a below and above ground. Adventure well, we've never before. done a fantasy novel before. But, oh, yes, we did The Darkest Rising. The Darkest Rising, yes. But we haven't done one where really we're talking about a completely made up world yeah. below London. Yeah. So it's been quite interesting, this one, listener, about when you pop up into the real world and what you see there uh, and de- date to be discussed of when, when this is in London. Mm-hmm. And then. What's going on in the impossible space down below, as it were? Well, you've been in the impossible space. I didn't go down there. Ah, uh, yeah. The as more... a maker of immersive fictions, I thought I'd send you into the underworld. Yes, and you know what? I've got this—I've uh, got this horrible image of myself going down there as Robert Smith in 1978, in a little sort of stripy French shirt and uh, art house cr- uh, sort of haircut, and then emerging as Robert Smith now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's very <pretty> good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, if you've ever seen a picture of him now, it's quite 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 scary. Quite a lot of hairspray (laughs) involved. Uh, Yeah, so you've been from Battersea to uh, Harrods. We've been all over the place. I mean, it's interesting. interesting. Albert Bridge. Albert Bridge. uh, Breakfast at Harrods. Yeah. And then I introduced you to Down Street. Down Street uh, Underground Station. Which, a uh, listener, you can go down into. You can go visit A very old, disused London Underground yeah. Station. So if you want a bit of, that, of the vibe of Neverwhere, that's a good, good, that's place a good to go. shout. Good place to go. And then we went to Han- Hanway Street, which is where you summon the Marquis de Carabas. Yeah. Which is where I From, are the you? old off, from well, your old office. From my old office, yeah. <laughs> you'd lean out the window. Yeah. We didn't have people dressed like that in our studio, mate. Uh, you when know, uh, well, you'd gone th- home, Mr. Mister Grumpy, they all, up as, the time, they all dressed so up you're in their If you're there, not wearing up, Armani, you're not coming in. <laughs> <laughs> so, where are we off to next? So now we're going east, and there's another market in the book, Netherwear, that takes place on the HMS Belfast. Well, it's quite clever. They talk about the Belfast market, and you're like, oh, we're going to go to Belfast. Yes. Which is a warship that's moored on the south bank of the Thames between uh, London Bridge and Tower Bridge, which you can go and visit, listener, if you'd like to. Yep. We had a nice time walking past it, but more interesting was the idea that that's also where the Marquis de Carabas, who we keep talking about, one of the main characters in this book, he is, has been killed and then he comes back to life. Yeah, And he's brought back to life while lying on top of the last remnant of London Wall. By, by, behind the Tower of London. And this is one of those moments where it turns out that Neil Gaiman isn't being a fantasist. No, it's there, it's, it's real. actually there. Yeah. It was no longer 30 feet high, the ground level having risen since Constantine's Mother's Day. Most of the original London Wall is 15 feet below street level today, and it no longer enclosed the city. But it was still an imposing lump of wall. Old Bailey nodded vigorously to himself. He fastened a length of rope to the pram base and he scrambled up the wall. Then, grunting and bless meing, he hauled the marquee up to the top of the wall. He untied the body from the pram wheels and laid it gently out on its back, arms at its side. There were wounds on the body that were still oozing. It was very dead. You stupid bugger, whispered Old Bailey sadly. What did you want to get yourself killed for anyway? Why, yes indeed, what would you? <laughs> so we're here. London Wall. The London Wall. I've what's ne- left of it? I've never been here before. No, I'd never walked over Tower Bridge before, and you've never been to the London Wall before. It's rather impressive. Outside Tower Hill tube station. Yeah. Looking out over the, uh, the Tower of London. Bang opposite, yeah. I've walked past it many a time and not even thought about it. So it's we would have been in the northwest corner of the original City of London, Tim. Is that right? And the Tower of London would have been the original Roman fort, Oh, I see. Yes, they were right on the edge. Yeah, I get That's it. That's why it was here. Yes, Yeah, and it would have joined up across there. Now yeah. I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is about 30 foot high, this bit. Yeah, it's very high here, isn't it? Yeah. If you think about how it's built up. And quite a good idea to have a body lying on the top there. I think it's quite theatrical. Quite theatrical. Quite a, quite a good set piece scene. Yeah. And then, Having watched the TV show, I'm not sure whether they actually put Carabas's body up there. It's quite a climb. Uh, if you're climbing up there while hauling up a body and a shopping cart, yeah, you're a big strong fella. I was going to say, surely there'd be some kind of ruling about whether you're allowed to climb on it, but you walked straight up to it and pulled a brick off it, so. <laughs> I don't think they're it, that bothered. It was loose anyway. It was yeah. loose anyway. The whole of London could fall now. It's probably very bad luck, isn't it? He, he bangs on about Constantine, but but I mean that's that's just an old wives' tale. It's older than that. And of um, course, buried underneath here. Yes. Is the head of King Bran, Lord of Wales. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. I distinctly remember a conversation down in Windsor yeah. about Geoffrey of Monmouth yeah. and all that, yeah. where you got very, very close. That's not cross. Geoffrey of Monmouth, though. I think that's the Mabinogian. Oh, right. And that, that one's all right. That's a legitimate well, that text. In Welsh. <laughs> that's a legitimate text, is <laughs> that's it? It's t- fine. <laughs> You no, 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 he was buried, buried, he was buried a, under the Tower you Hill. You got on a very high horse. about, about Geoffrey of You did. Liar. Don't do it no, again. You're a, not, you're a liar, he was a liar. <laughs> Don't do it again. <laughs> well, there's a lot of bogus nonsense going on here, because when we came in, I was expecting to see a statue of Julius Alpinus Classius Charmus, who is the procurator of London at the time of the construction of the war, which would be more historically accurate. And instead, why were you expecting to see that statue? Because there used to be a statue of him here. It's now either in the, it's in either the British oh, Museum or the Museum okay. of London. Well, instead there's a and rather... And they replaced it. rather naff statue of... Well, allegedly of Emperor Trajan. Claims to be of Trajan, who now, never set foot I in Britannia. I found an extract from voicemap.me, which is quite a good site, actually, with some of this stuff for tours. And it says, Welcome to our final stop. In front of you is the inauthentic, yeah. not quite statue of the Roman Emperor Trajan, who never set foot in England. Yeah. The head of the statue does not match the body, and the whole thing was recovered from a scrapyard in Southampton in the 1920s. Yep. absolutely How do they know the head doesn't match the body? It does look quite small, the head. It's absolutely bogus. I'm beginning to think the wall might be only 30 years old, and that someone just knocked that up. Now, this business, about it being 15 feet below ground rather than 30 feet above ground... Yeah. You've got something to show me about that, haven't you? Well... That's not. It's not the only fragment of the original London Wall in London, Tim. There is another fragment. I'm quite excited by this because obviously I'm I'm playing the under underworld guy. Well, but so you seem to have trumped me. Well, the uh, there is actually a London Below fragment of the London Wall, which I believe even people from London Above can get to see. Yeah, and it's well, not here though. I'm slightly worried about you, mate, though, because it's the other side of the old London. Oh, really? Is it the Barbican? Should we go and have a look at it? So this is one of the. Can you get in for side, free? This is the northeast side. Well, I think you can get in for free because it's in a car park. When you're telling a story, whether you're telling it in prose or whether you're telling it as right now to somebody who's who's out there, what you're actually doing is you're saying. Come with me. I'm trustworthy. Hold my hand. We will walk together, you and I, into dark places, and it's going to be okay. And you take them by the hand, and you walk into dark places with them, then you let go of their hand and you run away. That's storytelling. So London's not a bad place to locate a book that's all about nether regions. Your and un- <laughs> your and un- You're un- reading a completely different book. Undercovered Cavities. <laughs> I've been looking a lot at this, so this is great. I really enjoyed this. Yes. I want to give a credit, though, to a friend, Matt Brown at Londonist.com, who produced a map. I'll put a link to this on our show notes, a Google map called Underground London, which seeks to map out all the underground spaces beneath London. It's amazing. Ooh. It's really, really amazing. So Basically, what you're saying is are. that there is a kind of neverwhere down there. There is a neverwhere. And I've given it a uh, taxonomy, Tim. Mm. There are various different types of underground cou- spaces to... You are to, uh, suspiciously sounding like comic book work. Yeah, uh, so uh, the first one is to talk about is shelters. So you know there are lots and lots of bomb shelters underneath ah, London. Ah, okay, yes. Uh, and now we 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 talked a little bit about one on one under Clapham South. Yeah. So the the deep shelters underneath the, there are a series of deep shelters underneath the Northern Line. Oh yes. And there's mentioned in the book of the deep shelters beneath Camden, which do exist. Okay. Uh, and they go all the way down the, the Northern Line. So there's one under Good Street. There's one under Clapham North and Clapham Common, and there's one under Clapham South. And the Clapham South one. So what basically they were they were investigating building a high-speed underground rail network in the 1930s underneath the Northern Line, which is already quite deep. Okay. So it's quite cool. And the work was never completed or, you know, it was abandoned. So they basically picked the work up to, to build these underground shelters. And they were built as... Um, he talks about them being built as sh- shelters for soldiers. That's not right. They were built as as public underground bomb shelters. Yeah, the Clapham South one had a capacity for 8,000 Londoners. Absolutely huge. And there's each pit- with their own beds. So there's eight thousand beds down there. You can visit it. You can visit the can trans- you? Transport for London Museum, do ah. tours down there. You know, they've got all the regional signage up. Now, one of the other reasons that that, that particular shelter is interesting is that's where they put a lot of people from the Windrush. When the wind rush, HMS Windrush from the Caribbean, the ship that came from the Caribbean uh, with people who were coming to work in uh, England, they put a lot of them in that shelter. And the reason that Brixton is now a kind of center for uh, Afro-Caribbean culture. Because they came up from Clapham South? uh, Well, the nearest labor exchange Ah. to Clapham South was Brixton. So that's where they went to try and get to See, try and get work. Right. So, so that, you're saying Brixton is full of neverwhere people. Well, it's, it's come of, out you know, of the yeah, it's, it's out full of, of the neverwhere. They they have come up from underground. That explains a lot, so mate. So all the all, a lot of the culture that you love, a yes, lot of the culture you love, love. I do love Brixton. You before. mentioned Steel Percy the, the other day. No, you, you, I, well, I've you love this lived stuff. in and around Brixton for many years It Came I up from un- it. came up from the underground in Clapham South. Yeah. So that's shelters. The other one that I was looking at was catacombs. Surprising number of catacombs. Yes. Which is quite a loose phrase. But there are catacombs under London Bridge. Are they, are they of, Roman? No, a lot of them were built on, they're basically just old railway tunnels that were, yeah. so the London Bridge ones, the old Vic ones. So London Bridge is where, is where the shunt uh, yeah, theatre groups used group to do their sort yeah. of happenings. Did you ever there, go to those? No. Well, I went to yeah. quite a few of those. They yeah. were quite they fun, They had actually. quite a big parties underneath. Yeah, they were good There fun. are catacombs under Norwood Cemetery. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I didn't know, no. which is our, our local cemetery. Can you visit those? Uh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. The ones that I found particularly interesting, there was the Camden catacombs. So there are l- huge spaces underneath Camden, you know, there's, there's all the train lines running into Camden. Yeah. There are huge underground spaces under there where you used to keep horses. Oh, uh, the stables. The stables all under So uh, the, the there's a lower ground stables. There are lower ground stables. By the roundhouse. Yeah. Uh, all, all the way up to the roundhouse, all the way down that street from the roundhouse down to Camden lock. Oh. There are there are underground things down there. So that that's another category, catacombs. Okay. The other well, one, the, well, Camden High Street is full of Never wear tights. It exactly Very is. Very gothic. It exactly is. They've all come up from the yeah, catacombs. That explains a lot. There's lots of abandoned transport. Now, did you know about the Tower Subway? The Tower Subway. It was a Tower Subway built from the Tower of London across to the South Bank in 1869 that was then closed when Tower Bridge opened. Right. So I didn't know about that. No. The other one I didn't know about was the South London Subway. So there was hmm. a train line built from King William Street, which is in the city. Yes. Uh, and it's still, it, the tunnel's oh, exactly. still there. King William Street? Yeah, all yeah, all the way night. down into South London. Now, uh, they mention sewers. Yes, they so do. So Carabas is running along a sewer. Yeah. London sewers is obviously quite famous, to say the least. I see people blogging about how they've walked. They Oh, I've had a trip down there, and there's yeah. photographs. There. But uh, is that official, or are they just... Lifting up a manhole well, cover going I haven't been to find an there. official tour of the sewers. No, but you've seen them, haven't you? You've seen these blogs where people go, "Oh yeah, I've had a good old walk around." Well, I the wonder, sewers, And I'm thinking, how have you done that? I wonder what the impact of the uh, the London Below is of the Thames Tideway, Ooh, which is obviously on, being built right now. That runs along basically along the, underneath the Thames, right? Uh, which is the new super sewer that's running. Well, the, I mean, if ever there was an obvious terrible villain who should be in this book, it would be Thames Water. There's a very good, uh, very long excerpt from Strand Magazine on Subterranean Britannica, which I'll put a link to, that describes going down into the sewers at the end of the 19th century. That's very neverwhere. Just remember, listener, you can't get these links unless you support us on Patreon. Absolutely. We put them up in a lovely little document. So this whole section is basically a honey trap. That's it, yeah. Now, the last category I wanted to talk about was military citadels. (laughs) Look at your little face. I know, I know. (laughs) You're getting... So there are lots of these. Perhaps the most famous one is it's called the Citadel. So if you go, well, if you watch the... The if, Citadel. If you watch the Queen's Funeral, and yeah. you watch the um, a procession coming down the Mall and then turning right into Horse Cars Parade, yeah. you will not have seen it mentioned on any of the coverage. But if you'd look carefully, go back and re- go back and look at the recording, you'd have seen on the corner a massive block covered by ivy on the corner where they turn into Horse Guards Parade. Yeah. That is called the Admiralty Citadel. And it's the entrance to an underground world, Tim. It's basically a bomb-proof I bet if I go back and look at that, it's shelter. not there anymore. No, that really would be good. They it took it the out. They took it out. Yeah. So there's, yeah, so there's the, the, that, that's a the top of an underground citadel, which is all part of the war preparations in the Second World War oh, okay. to keep government functioning. Yeah. So there's one there. There's one under Whitehall. All yeah. the way under Whitehall, there's a massive citadel. And there's another one under um, under Kingsway, which is now a massive telecoms hub. Oh, really? Yeah. Just stuff full of wires, yeah. basically? Yeah, so, well, and, and boxes and machines and stuff like that. And you can go down, I mean, they're, they're not open to the public, but they do occasionally have tours. Do they? Of these places, of the Kingsway, the Kingsway Citadel. Oh, that's probably that open that. house weekend or something, you can probably yeah. go down there. So these these things are massive. So if you you, know, if you wanted oh, to talk about that, that would be interesting. So, so if you want that, plus the shelters, I think, you, you can posit an underground world. We're in London below. Well, you've trumped me, haven't you? You completely trumped me. I've come down to your realm. Yeah. Beneath the streets. And you've, 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 you've won. And here, it, and what do we find? A bloody great bit of the London Wall in a car park. A very massive slab of London I'm quite, Wall. I'm a bit bowled over. <laughs> it's astonishing. We're at the end of the uh, London Wall car park. You just walk down a long old like municipal underground car park. It runs the entire ever- length of the street that is called London Wall, this car park. Yeah. Um, and guess why the street's called London Wall? Because it's and, where London Wall ran. And then just cordoned off in one section across... Rather grottily. ...about eight car park spaces, a bit of old London Wall. It's about, what, would you say 10 feet high? Well, here we are. It's 15 feet underground, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, look how thick it's it is. The bit, it's the bit Gaiman's talking look how about. how thick it is. It must be five feet thick. Yeah. Do you think he knew about this? Well, I only found out about it um, fairly recently, so... I don't know if he knew about it. He doesn't mention it in the book, though, does he? In the terms of this book, it's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's the motherland. It's, under, it's, it's below London, but it's the London Wall. It's right there. Yeah. How funny. But then you do reach the point where you say, yeah, it's a wall. Yeah, you're just staring at a wall. So, <laughs> yeah, so d- the best podcast material? Well, I, the only other thing about it is um, you have to be a slightly intrepid listener because um, access to the car park is by card... Only, yeah, so you have to be a bit brassy and walk in through the exit of the cars and just walk past the security guard and just do it as if you own the place turn left, stride out for about a hundred meters, yeah, there's a wall, well, worth it, oh, unbelievable, yeah I'm a bit annoyed okay, well, I'm sorry you're annoyed, but because we are in we are in your realm, I don't want you to be annoyed in your realm, no. We have to go back out into the light now. Well, because obviously, think bad things can happen to people like you down here. <laughs> Walls can fall on them, eh? Okay. <laughs> really bad things can happen. So London Below is a very literal place. And it's literal because when I was a kid, I would play a game at my school. They had one of these board games that was just London Underground and you had London Underground Stations, and I'd look at these names, and I'd wonder what the places were like. There's Oxford Circus, and i think, well, is there a circus there? must be really interesting. There must be a lot of circuses in London. Earl's Court, who is the Earl? What's his court like? That was really where it began, with this sort of rather literal interpretation of London. I loved the idea that somebody who read Neverwhere Next time they went on the tube, might be looking at the names on the tube map with a little more mystery, a little more imagination. So you're becoming a master of the underground. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, a, a, a role reversal. Uh, it was a role reversal. Um, I, it, it was, but that was that was fascinating finding that fragment of London, war. and it was also I thought it was very London in that we've got this amazing kind of uh, historical artifact. <laughs> that's behind a kind of crappy uh, aluminium barrier in an underground car park. They'd even no son- shaved a bit off the top to make room for the girder no, on the ceiling. No right? sign, no, no respect. to it. No respect no whatsoever. To it. But it's a proper bit of underground stuff. Yeah, very good. It's absolutely a yeah. bit of Neverwhere yeah. to my liking. really is. I really liked it. Yeah. Presumably now, he didn't know about it when he wrote the book. Just I, I, sp- he gives the impression that he knows about everything, yeah, it's true. I'd have to say, yeah. in his talks. That he's he read everything and knows everything. He there's a sto- I think there's a story when uh, Alan Moore's talking about writing From Hell, and uh, he basically gets Neil Gaiman to go and do his research for him with the British Library. <laughs> Fair enough. He's quite nerdy, isn't he? But he, he's obviously a massive reader, yeah, yeah so yeah. I think he probably d- would know about that. Yeah. But does he know about how to get his dates right in his book? Well, or does he even care about dating and making sure that he is historically accurate about when the events of this book take place. OK, so cards on the table for me, I couldn't find any indication as to what year this was set in. Yeah, tricky. Because um, he, 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 it's not relevant, is it? He's not, not He doesn't not give relevant. a toss. Also, well, is it, is it mainly deli- may, also maybe deliberate? It's interesting that this guy, his main character, Richard, I'm intrigued by the fact that he doesn't watch television, he doesn't read a newspaper... There's never a radio on, no. there's no music played. All the things that we would find all the, all the, a way yep. of then anchoring to a particular date or month or year mm. is excised from the narrative. Deliberately presumably. There is none of that at all. Apart from Okay, you did find something from, when they're at the British Museum at the opening of the Angels exhibition. Yeah. Jessica's PA, he flips open a mobile phone. He does. Yes, he's got which a, a, which, um, a clamshell. Des- it, well, he's described as being like one of the communicators in Star Trek. Yeah. So, when could you get a flip phone? Because so I must I, be a was Motorola. Was a Motorola the first one? It was. I would have said the first flip phones were about 95, 96. Well, you're bang on, yeah. I got my first phone. It was announced phone, it? in 95, and then it was available in Europe. In 96. Okay. It was called the StarTAC. That's right, the Motorola StarTAC. The reference to Star Trek. And it's it not Star it, Trek, it's StarTAC. He also talks about having an aerial, doesn't it? And it did have an aerial, I remember. It's, it's basically a StarTAC Motorola, isn't it's it? Very good. So if he's got one in Europe, then it has to be 96. He can't have got it before then unless he got it as a US import in 95. Nice. So that's my starting that's point. That's very good. That's very but, good. Which I'm annoyed about because I want this to be 95. Yeah. I really want this to be 95. For Why? Well, I'll tell you why. So if we look at the sequence of where this happens, he does make a lot of references to autumn, the Mm -hmm. autumn stars, he says. There's a lot of stuff about rustling leaves, brown leaves everywhere. So it's an autumnal novel. So we know that much. And we also know that at the end of the book, he is walking in London on a mid-morning, warm October day. Mm -hmm. So this book starts on a Friday night. We Mm -hmm. know that. We know that then over the weekend, when he's met door after he's met, Dor, he goes to work on the Monday, and he's invisible. And no one recognises him. And, yeah. right? No one sees him. And then there's a moment where he has a week's growth of beard. So there's been one week has mm. passed from when from the Monday. Now, when he actually at the end of the book and he goes back to work, they say, "Oh, you had a breakdown a couple of weeks ago," and then someone else says after that. When he's been at work for a couple, of then they go for a drink. Oh, you you went away for a few weeks. Yeah. So the the main action of this must happen over a period of about four weeks. Yeah. I buy all that. Okay. Yeah. Now, if I can go back and say, this can't end anywhere near the thirty first of October, because this lot of goths <laughs> would be talking about <laughs> Halloween all God. night long. Oh <laughs> would they not? I'm not even gonna. I'm not even responding to that. Uh, they would, I'm not honoring that with a they response. They will be talking about what they're going to wear. <laughs> <laughs> what spooky things are going to happen? Come on! So it's it's got to have happened before then, otherwise they'd all be talking about it. So there's a Halloween event horizon that you want to. I want avoid. to rule that out, right? So then we roll, so roll it back a week or two. What I'm saying is. You could say that the book starts if it started on the 29th of September, 1995, which is when door falls out of a wall. Yeah, is that? Then that would take you through to the 24th of October. Right, and that's where the he draws the door in the. Yeah. Uh, the so wall. I think it goes from the 29th of September to the 24th of October, 1995. Now, and somehow was, the PA has got early purchase of the Stoke Motorola Star Trek. That's how we're explaining it. Yes, yeah. He's uh, got an inside loop. Yeah, well, he's worked for it's Doctor a Who. Demo he's worked for Doctor Who, it's like everybody else in this book, surely. It's a demo edition. <laughs> now, this is where I, I, the power of stories, yeah. structure, yeah. uh, deep structure, and motifs and myths. Yeah. I think that this is where Neil Gaiman, I can help him here. <laughs> I'm sure we would appreciate your help. <laughs> 29th of September, 1995, is the launch of the PlayStation. <sighs> okay. A great talismanic... Uh, thing that everyone would be in quest of, presumably. Not the gods. So no, the, but if you say that it's the be- the beginning of a new era, yeah, of worlds, yeah. The launch of PlayStation is quite significant, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, I think so. It's is a it? Is deal. it just it a? a well, I mean, there were video games machines before the PlayStation. Yeah, but not not in the way that that changed the game absolutely, and uh, okay. and, and and really made them available to a much broader audience. They got into. A, you saying my sega mega drive wasn't as uh, I'm afraid not. as important as i thought it was at the time well technologically i think in terms of cultural change as as outliers and you know yeah advanced stuff but in terms of like establishing mainstream yeah culture of games in people's houses yeah. game worlds in people's houses the playstation's pretty significant okay all right so basically i'm saying that that's what it starts when the playstation appears that's right. when the book starts yeah it ends on the 25th of october yes With the investment of a knight of the realm. (laughs) okay, Cliff Richard. Oh, well, there you go. He's very much of the underground, isn't he? (laughs) I would have thought so. So I think that if you think of that as being the two marker posts of the story, the quest begins with the PlayStation and ends with the knighting of Cliff Richard. I literally can't imagine two less gothic things than the PlayStation and Cliff Richard. (laughs) So I'm enjoying that. At the same time as acknowledging that it is complete nonsense. (laughs) But loving your work. Thank you.
0: blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Very much. What first worried me was that um, they'd said to me, there's going to be a sort of stool there. And he said, you don't sit on it. And it's got a handle. And he said, I suggest you kneel, one kneel one knee on it and hold onto the handle he said I've seen grown men collapse with nerves and of course it was nerve-wracking but I did what they said and the and the other thing was that they said say nothing unless to Her Majesty says something to you so I got my hold of the handle I, I kneeled and the only thing I felt worried about was when the Queen came to me she had the sword like this No, it was just fantastic she dumped me on the shoulders I I was told them to stand up, and I did, and I waited, and she said, oh, this has been a long time coming. Richard Mayhew walked down the underground platform. It was a district line station. The sign said, Black Friars. The platform was empty. Somewhere in the distance, an underground train roared and rattled, driving a ghost wind along the platform which scattered a copy of the tabloid The Sun into its component pages, 4 color breasts, and black-and-white invective scurrying and tumbling off the platform and down onto the rails. A black Frost doesn't seem quite so scary in real life, <laughs> as in it's this quite, chapter of the book. It's quite busy. It's not just the district line, it's the circle line as well, Mr yeah. Gaiman. Okay, so, well, was it always...? So it wasn't the Circle Line, Blackfriars, wasn't it? I have no idea. We'll have oh, to res- it just, just assumed it was. Just assumed it was. Plenty of trains coming through. We're obviously sitting on the pl- A platform. We're sitting at Blackfriars Station platform, District Line. This is the scene where Richard Mayhew undergoes his ordeal. That's right. Where he's faced with himself, really. Yes. Well, also, but then he has both his best friend Gary and then his fiance appear, yeah. manifest to him but they're not real they are just him talking to them. Cause he, because he, he sort of uh, he touches them and they sort of melt before him don't they, yeah. they turn, their faces turn to goo when he touches them or yeah. something it's quite a weird scene this. it's a very weird trippy scene and the, the point is that he's confronted with the failure of his life as it were yeah and that the um, challenge is that, they're, that he's being forced to f- have feelings of depression and then suicide and the idea is that the challenge is not to throw yourself under the train yes which he succeeds in not doing. Yes. Not spoiler. He does, as if it was something that he might easily do. Yeah. Statistically, not a station yeah. used for suicide. Blackfriars. Well, I found. Um, what's the most? What's the most suicide station? There we go. So if you look this up, there's lots of stats so yes. actually. Yes, please do. <laughs> Hampstead. No. <laughs> um, now, if you if you thought laterally about this. You would get it. It's a station where 55% of all suicides have taken place in the underground. So, that's, presumably, it's a very busy station? No. Oh. That's not the reason. Oh. 55%? Is it near a hospital? The Yes. Uh, is it near it, Guy's Hospital? Or no. But it's, s- a, it's a place, it, tend, it does say stations near to psychiatric units tend to have a high number of suicides. Oh, God. And well, the only psychiatric you know I can think of is the Mort, and that's not near a tube station. No. Um, Shall I put you out your misery? St Mary's Paddington. No, it's not. It's St George's down at Tooting Beck. Oh God! Lot of suicides on the Northern Line. Very high proportion on the Northern Line. <laughs> Actually, utterly, d- utterly grim that fact. Mm? Oh what? It's really grim that fact. I know. I, yeah, Tooting Beck Tube Station because it's near Tooting Broadway. Presumably, you're no. much more likely to kill yourself on the northern central or piccadilly lines and anywhere else so the circle line is quite low actually uh, in terms right. of suicide so blackfriars wouldn't because there's hardly ever a bloody train on the he's Circle he's picked the line. wrong station he should have gone to tooting beck uh, well i've got one famous um, jumper as they call them yeah who might interest you a very famous jumper well that's what they call them in the london underground they call them jumpers graham bond Graham Bond was an English rock blues musician. Yeah, the Graham rock- Bond organisation. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Now, I didn't know he jumped down to a tube. John Lord said of Graham Bond, he taught me hands on most of what I know about the Hammond organ. Well, John Lord, famously the keyboard player for Deep Purple. There you are. So this, this—I thought this would interest you. So Graham Bond, yeah, Graham Bond is a is a is a mighty keyboard player. The Graham Bond organisation was famously Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker. Yeah, went was left for cream. Yeah, and John McLaughlin actually on guitar is an amazing guitarist. Yeah, amazing set. Yeah, That's amazing. quite a band, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he did a lot of drugs. Right. He had mental health problems. Um, he really started to get into uh, magic. He believed oh. himself to be Alistair Crowley's son. That's never a good thing to be believing. Um, and then as his career went downhill, I'm afraid... He didn't he do it here, though, did he? Hmm? He didn't do it here. No, he didn't. Um, he did it at Finsbury Park, Piccadilly Line. <laughs> That's sad, isn't it? The other famous suicide, but then not suicide. A Blackfriars. Yes. Right, I think I know what you're going to I say. I was going to take you there because I believe it to be a portal. Is under the north side of Blackfriars Bridge. R- Roberta Kelvin. Yes, found hanging from the bridge with several bricks in his pockets. God's banker. And thousands of dollars. Basically, over the next two decades, there was an enormous number of investigations into his alleged murder. Right. Because they found out, that some private detective found out that um, he was found hanging from some scaffolding because they were working on the bridge. Yeah. And they worked out that he can't have been climbed onto the scaffolding because there was no residue from his shoes on the scaffolding. So he can't have, so he can't have he walked up there. up there. Well, they now say that he was, he was already dead and he was hung up there. For, they, they, came, they came in on a boat and strung him up and they put bricks in his pocket to ma- send a message because they believe this to be a murder orchestrated by the p2 masonic yep. lodge yeah masons mate it's yeah, all masons. masons yeah yeah so that's something we don't think about in this book too much is it their oath is by the temple and the arch that's what the people in london below say is a kind of uh, ah. by god they say by the temple and the arch which sounds quite Masonic. It does. It's and never also, really explained what well, it that means. that's is interesting, isn't it? Because also Dawes' granddad builds her house out of lots of... amalgam of lots of bricks and yep. stuff from other buildings. He's a Mason. He's a bit of a Mason, isn't he? Yeah, I think he probably is. I think there's a bit of a Mason vibe going on yeah, there's here. There's a Masonic message in here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if Neil Gaiman's associated with Masonry. I know he's associated with Scientology. His dad was a Scientologist. So maybe that's why he picked Blackfriars as a location. Like, <laughs> and it's we should be c- careful what we say. Of course, they could be listening. What, the Masons? Or the Mafia, or, or, or the Catholic Church. Or the Blackfriars. Or the Blackfriars. <laughs> they're all they're Who all are you around. most scared of? <laughs> Who am I most scared <laughs> yeah, of? <laughs> Catholic Church, undoubtedly. <laughs> Probably my wife. She used to work around <laughs> here. Oh, we didn't <laughs> list her, though, did we? She's definitely not listening. <laughs> so, marks. We're going to give some marks. We're going to give Mr Gaiman, Gaiman Senior. Yeah, give me Given his approach to teachers and being told what to do, he's not going to like this. He's not going to like being marked, is he? No, I don't think so. There's you to know, restrict. There's, a, there's a, one of the talks where he says, oh, there's a moment when he was at school, he realised that adults are not that clever. And there was, he had a moment, you know, he had a moment when he switched from thinking adults must know stuff and therefore what they tell you is true to then going, nah. Well, if you want proof that adults aren't clever, then this podcast is a must, Absolutely. So the first, we give two ratings. We give a rating for uh, artistic merit, mm. laughably. Uh, and we also give a rating for which we call our CUSPEC rating, uh, which is how seriously does the mm. author take dates and locations yeah. in his story? This is tricky. Tricky one for uh, Mr. Gaiman, I would say. So should we start with the artistic merit? Yes. Well, you, you, know, you know I'm going to have a problem with this. You are. You're not. It's not your sort of thing. Well actually, having read it and read a bit of Sandman and walked around London with you and listened to you talk about this stuff <laughs> endlessly, I do feel like it's my loss. that I, I, It was something that was not part of my cultural life and probably could have been and should have been. But it's too late for me now. <laughs> to be it's too late for me now. I still read books like this and think, yeah, I might have sort of liked this when I was about 14. Yeah. But then I'd grow up. Yeah. And then I'd go move on to some proper books. Yeah. So it's hard for me to give him a good mark because I just don't like this stuff. Okay. It's just what can I say? It's not it's not my cup of tea. No. I think that's what I meant to say, isn't it? No. no. I think it very much isn't your cup of tea. No, so I'm I'm going six. I think that's fair enough. Now my my issue with, with it is although I'm a huge fan of Gaiman's comics. Yeah. I think he's a genius comics writer. I'm not such a fan of his prose books. But American Gods, I didn't particularly get on with. So um, you read more than one. I've read this and American Gods, <laughs> yeah. And I, I I would say this book is, I think it's actually, for me, a better book than American Gods. It's much, well, for one thing, it's a lot shorter. But also, it's not, I, I think there's skill here and I think there's some really lovely, I mean, that that, that passage where an, anesthesia is talking about why she left home. Yeah, I think is actually a really good piece of writing, and there's yeah. a few bits of that like that. So I'm going to go seven. Fair enough. As a, as a, a piece of yeah, work. that's it's a good point that actually one of the really good things about this book is that it celebrates subcultures and Absolutely. and um, parts of society that mainstream novel writing and and culture ignores. And this is going to sound a bit this is going to sound cheesy, but I do find that having read it, yeah, I look at. I, I see homeless people in a way that I, I probably, see homeless people in a way that I probably didn't see them before. Really we walked past two at least on our walk. Yeah, uh, did you notice them? Uh, I did notice them, okay. but you're better at noticing them anyway because you had the fantastic episode in Scunthorpe where you uh, <laughs> you took a homeless person shopping.
0: <laughs> I uh, did,
1: which was a, a lovely moment. Until he until he went too far, and he asked you pushed to buy it pizza. too far, man. He said, oh, "You buy me." I said, "Look, I'll uh, you know if you get a sandwich and a drink, I'll I'll buy you that." And then he went. He he looked at the roll, the, the sort of healthy salad. You bought him a healthy wrap. S- salad. You bought him a wrap. You probably didn't know what a wrap was a wrap and a soft get, drink. And he was looking at me like. Oh. Oh. And he disappeared out the shop for a minute, and then I thought, "Where's he gone now?" Because I'm about to pay for his food now. And then he came back in because there were several of them outside. Oh, uh, and he said, "He said, me and the lads have been talking. <laughs> we're thinking pizza." <laughs> It's an absolute brilliant, you know, uh, fair play to them. So we've got a seven and a six, so that's not right. that's, that's Yeah, a, a so now spec Q-Spec. So as we've said in the previous section about dating, it was quite hard to date this book because he does not interested in locating it in terms of time, which is fair enough, again, because it's a fantasy novel. Yeah. Although one thing I forgot to mention, again, and well, I would like it to be 95, is that's when... Um, John Galliano and Alexander McQueen are walking around town looking like the Marquis de Carabas. Okay, So I think that fashion thing... Did they not do that in 96? They just stopped doing it? (laughs) Did they get together on December 31st? if they met... You know this walking around town looking like the Marquis de Carabas? Not doing it next year. No, they said they they bumped into Oasis on a dark night and 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 decided they they didn't want to do that anymore. They changed to Fred Perry's. (laughs) Yeah, Okay. fair enough. So, uh, low mark for dating. In terms of locations, uh, very interesting locations, it takes us on another unusual route route through London. So that if you're coming to London, listener, and you're interested in taking a sli- slightly different view of the city and a different view of the history, this is a pretty good one mm-hmm. because you get to get a bit of Roman stuff, you get the Blackfriars, mm-hmm. uh, you get Harrods, uh, you get the South London Bridge, you get a, a quite a quirky view mm-hmm. of London from the locations mm-hmm. that are mentioned. And they all sort of stack up, don't they? Mm-hmm. They do kind of stack up. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go right down the middle of the road and say five. Okay. Quite low. Um, well, because he's not really interested. No, he's not really interested. No. Um, he's not really a member of our club. He doesn't try and I f- wouldn't want him as a member of our club. Anyway, we have a dress code. We're not having any of that stuff in here. <laughs> it's the first I know about the dress code. Yeah, yeah. You better watch it. Yeah. I would say, look, he's done the reading. Uh, he, We've already talked about what a big reader he obviously is. Um, I think he's he's thought fairly carefully about these different locations and how they hang together. I love the Black stuff. I thought that was very clever. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm going to give him a seven again. Ooh, that's quite um, a high score. Because he doesn't get anything wrong, right? I mean, I know he's not Well, that because he's, he's just, making it up. He's not, he's not that. Well, no, but. He, he doesn't get d- it wrong because every time he, he gets it wrong, he just says, oh, I'm making it up. Yeah, it's a it fantasy been, thing. Yeah, all right. So he gets a pass. Okay, well, all right. Well, I'm furious I'm with giving that. It, seven's very high. I'm giving him a, a seven. Gosh. Gosh, that's just your comic comic loyalty, yeah, it's, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the... Uh, You're part of the clan. The comics clan. God. The cult I of gaming. I see it now. The scales have fallen from my eyes. The cult of gaming gets a pass. You're a goth in disguise. I'm uh, not very good disguise. <laughs> uh, so uh, two sevens for me, 14, mm-hmm. and a six and a five from you. Mm. I think that reflects our... Separate journeys to this book. I think I've been generous, given my prejudices. (laughs) I could have been much nastier about it. But I I feel I'm on a journey. And as I said to you, it's probably... You're on a quest, Tim. (laughs) God, I am, aren't I? Richard hefted the knife. Then he lunged towards the brick wall next to the doorway in which the woman had been sleeping. He slashed three times, scratching at the wall, once horizontally, twice vertically. (laughs) What are you doing? asked the woman warily. Making a door, he told her. She sniffed. You ought to put that thing away. If the police see you, they'll they'll run you in for offensive weapons. That's very unlikely in the modern age. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Richard sat down on the pavement and wondered quite how someone could make such a mess of their life as he had made of his. Then he looked back at the doorway he had scratched on the wall. There was a door-shaped hole in the wall where he had scratched his outline there was a man standing in the doorway with his arms folded theatrically. He stood there until he was certain that Richards had seen him and then he yawned hugely, covering his mouth with a dark hand. The Marquis de Carabas raised an eyebrow. Well, he said irritably, are you coming? He's a bit of an arse, isn't he? Oh, Marquis de Carabas? Well, we're famous... Where are we? Uh, well, we're sitting in um, a place called Smith's Court, which neither of us knew was here. No, little secret place. It's in a corner between uh, the corner of uh, Great Windmill Street and Brewer Street. Yes, and it's a secret place. Could it be it's very London below. Yes. Well, obviously, I got here before you. C- well, a, yeah, you got here before me because you it- came. Through the system. A direct way. Yeah. We're sitting in front of a shop called William Curley Patissier Chocolatier, which you pointed out is a very London below name. William Curley. William Curley. You said very funnily, does he make Curly Whirlies? Curly Whirlies. <laughs> that's good. Um, but uh, it, we think it's on Windmill Street that Richard encounters the homeless woman sleeping on the street. Oh, I think that's very clear because basically he's, he's out with Gary. They say that they walk down Brewer Street, they walk down Windmill Street to Piccadilly, Gary gets a gets a cab. A cab. And then he walks up Windmill Street towards Brewer Street. Street, but he doesn't get to Brewer Street. No, and it's on Windmill Street that he, he draws the uh, Well, he says it draws the, the shape of the door on a brick wall, tricky, next to a door. We can't find a brick wall. Well, there's one new it's build. development, isn't there's there? one new development that might possibly have been it.: But there was a very good brick wall turning into Smith's court.: Yes, there was. Perfect. Um, so we thought all. Oh, that will be, that's a good brick wall. Yeah. So we Do you know what? The, the photo gallery for, for patron subscribers in this uh, good stuff. episode is going to be gripping, isn't it? Because it's basically walls. Well, the map is going to be quite complicated going be as well, <laughs> because you're going to have to draw two maps, Tim. <laughs> London above and London below. Um, well, I don't think I'm allowed to. Are you allowed to show where the portals are? I'm not sure. Okay. Yes, I think if you paid two pounds. <laughs> surely. <laughs> surely that would be all it's right. It's a low bar to... Uh, so, um... I need to leave you now. Yes, are you you going home via the uh, London Below? Well, actually, I'm going to the uh, final portal. Okay, Uh, that sounds a bit grim. Well, I'm going (laughs) to disappear. I'm going to disappear. What for good? (laughs) Because I've discovered, of course, that we've nearly squared the circle here. You know, online we were saying to some of our patron subscribers that we've now had two books that lead us in the end. To the glass blowers, the glass blowers pub on Glasshouse Street. So what I'm saying to you is, if I walk just up that alleyway, yeah, and I take a left about 200 yards, you will find yourself. That's where I'll be. So this, I'm putting it to you that my end of Neverwhere journey, yeah, ends in the glass glass blowers, blowers. because you're not part of my world. (laughs) You just have to go home. We have reached the end of Neverwhere.
0: Yeah, and no, I enjoyed that.
1: Yes, I, I know you did. I enjoyed that a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know you did. And uh, we got more weird stuff to look forward to, Tim. I know we have. Yeah. <laughs> no, looking forward to that. We're looking forward to that. We've got another weird book coming your way in a week's time. Yes, we have. We're gonna say what it is? We've taken Peter Aykroyd's yeah, out for a walk. Another London fantasist. About a satanic architect. Oh. Now this I enjoyed learning about Satanism. You did? And I hope you listener will so enjoy it. You do have a little bit of the nerd in you. No, just the, a little bit of the Satanist. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're evil rather than nerdy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we need uh, to say a couple bit of thanks. For um, some of the music that you were listening to during this podcast, the spooky music, yes, spooky music, yes, very good. I really, I I lucked out on finding this on the Free Music Archive. I then wrote to Michael Palant or Palante, Palante. Sorry, never. I'm sorry, Michael. I I don't know how to pronounce your name, but anyway, I want to thank him, and he's known as M. Palant. P-A-L-L-A-N-T-E. And on Bandcamp, he has a, a music label called Dark Asylum Music, which is oh, so already I'm good. It, right? I'm liking it already. <laughs> exactly. Is it quite gothy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're going to love it. All the music I took was from one album called Malice. You were liking it even more, <laughs> totally aren't you? Checking it out. Yeah. Totally checking it out. Yeah, and I, I think you all should. Uh, M. Palant, he's also got a YouTube channel. He also does um, graphic art as well. So he's a multi-talented man, Yeah. and I urge you all to go and check it out. It's really great. And he was very, very generous about, when I contacted him, he said, I am a Neil Gaiman fan, you can use as much as you want, just send me the podcast when you're finished. If you want some original music, wow. I could write you some. What a great guy. Yeah, really nice. That's fantastic. Yeah. See, that's what, that's what it's like in the nerdverse. People are nice to each other. That's right. They help each other out. They're not continually trying to do each other down. yeah. That's just public school Twitter. Uh, then, just is public it? school Twitter. So <laughs> uh, nice one, yeah. No, and don't forget, good. of course, that we our bass loop is from Free Music Archive as well. Our theme tune from um, an artist called Learning Music. It's worth checking these things out because there's all kinds of wonderful tracks and yeah. um, and follow and follow the links as well because you know there's real people making this stuff and they yeah the, uh, as we found out with Mister Poland they they're good people yeah they're good people and they're talented yeah, yeah nice and, one uh, really good fun. Well, I'm off to listen to Malice. Well, that sounds awesome. Yes, I I have listened to Malice. I think I need to go away into a quiet room and read some improving literature in Mm. silence. Yeah, all right. (laughs) Boring.